Cusick. Not just a word, a movement, a mindset, and a podcast. Welcome to Fusick. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Fusick podcast for everyone who said I couldn't. I am Craig Miller, your co-host, always accompanied by TJ McGinnis. How you doing, bud? Good morning. I'm doing well, Craig. I'm doing well. Getting ready for, had a great college football weekend and looking forward to NFL starting today. There you go. Should be a good, should be a good one, buddy. There you go. Be a good one. How do you think My your Giants are going to be? Oh, I don't know, man. I'd like to think they can go 9-7, and seven, um, but I've adapted after Tom Coughlin left the Giants to the Jags and living in Jacksonville, I've adopted to the Jags organization. They should be all right this year, though, right? Yep, they should. If they don't, I think if they don't make it to the AFC Championship again, then it's another, it's a bust year for them. That's good. It's kind of crazy to think about, but, but uh, you know who I'm actually getting to be a fan of? Have you, have you seen Hard Knocks? Um, I think so, maybe. Okay, so they, they follow the Cleveland Browns. Okay. Preseason Hard Knocks on HBO. They do a different and it's different team every year, right? Every year, and it's phenomenal. Uh, and I'm going to be rooting for the, the Browns, believe it or not. So well, that was the best PR marketing the Browns have done in, in many years. Well, you so. said you were you said you were working on patience, so that'll <laughs> that'll help, I think. So. That's right, that's right, buddy. How about you? How are you doing? Doing great. Tigers, Tigers awesome. squeaked it out this past weekend. Should have a gimme game this week before LSU comes to town next weekend. So uh, we are we're pumped to um, be one and zero. I was looking at something that said Auburn has the last six games. Five of them have been against top six teams, and they've won four of them. So yeah, man, it's a tough schedule. Auburn tough has. schedule, but well, yeah. we'll get through it. So enough about that. Let's welcome our um, superstar guests here, Mr. Rob Sawinski. How you doing, Rob? Oh, fantastic. Good man. Good. Well, thank you for joining us on the call today. I know you've got a lot going on, um, and we appreciate you waking up early to to get this done today. And, and we're excited to hear your story. Excited to hear what you can add to the show. So. Um, one thing we just like to start off with is to keep it simple and just say, Rob, tell us what uh, FUSIC means to you. Um, tell us a little about yourself and, and tell us your for everyone who said I couldn't story. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm honored and, and I, I think my story doesn't compare to some of the folks that have, have, have spoken. Uh, you know, Stephen's story was definitely inspirational and, and I don't even think not only am I not on the same shelf, but I don't even think I'm in the same library. Um, but uh, I, I'm glad to share my story. Uh, I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and uh, me and my, my two brothers, uh, I'm the oldest, and, and my dad was a, a factory worker, hard worker. Uh, he used to uh, work for General Foods, and, and they were the, the manufacturers of Kool-Aid and Cool Pops and Open Pit Barbecue Sauce and uh, Shake and Bake. So every day he came home from work, he, he smelled like something different. Um, my mom stayed home to to raise me and my two brothers, and so, you know, growing up as a kid on the on the south side of Chicago, you know, we didn't have everything we wanted. You know, we got what we needed. Uh, you know, we didn't live a lifestyle of, of of Nikes. We had volleys, and 
Yeah, I remember telling my dad one time I wanted guest jeans, and he said, well, guess what? You're going to Kmart and getting some rustlers. <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> That's great. You know, that was that was the kind of lifestyle we lived, and and you know my dad taught me hard work, and and I think my, my Fusick story uh, begins you know as, as early back as I could remember. I was a, a junior in high school, and I went to a, a local racetrack here at the end of the season, and and I just got fired up about you know being at the racetrack, and and I came home and told my parents I said I'm buying a race car and I'm going racing next year. And, and, you know, just like all parents, they, yeah, whatever, you know, didn't think I was going to, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, kid says. And, and uh, our neighbor down the street used to race super late model stock cars at that same racetrack. And I went out and, and I met him and, and I asked him to put a roll cage in a junk car for me. And he said, well, what do you want to do that for? And I said, well, you know, I want to go racing next year. And he said, you don't want to go out and, and race in that division. He said, those guys are out there drinking and you know, getting high, and the only thing that they want to do is go out there and party. And, and so by my last, uh, you know, last year, he was a, a, a sportsman champion, and he said, buy my car. And I said, man, I'm, I'm 17. I don't, I don't have that kind of money. And he said, well, how much money do you have saved up? And, and I'll never forget this. I had $1,500. And uh, he says, I'll be your first sponsor. He says, give me the $1,500 and keep my name on the car. He had a, a diesel shop and so I got the car and the trailer and all the parts, and so all all winter. Where are you going, Rob? I'm going to work on a race car by Steve's shop. And, uh, you know, toward the, the beginning of the season, uh, my parents were, were heading out to go grocery shopping, and I said, hey, why don't you stop at Steve's shop and, and take a look at the race cars? And he had five bays, and, and, and each bay, you know, had either a race car in it or, or a diesel truck. And my parents came in, and they were looking at his car, and, you know, admiring it, and this is sharp, and I said, come on, come and look at my car, and my parents just froze, I said, what do you mean your car, I said, my car, and so we walked in, and, and my mom seen the car, and my name on the roof, and, and she just freaked the heck out, <laughs> and uh, you know, she said, you're not racing, this isn't, and I said, no, you had your chance a couple months ago to say that, and uh, so my first day out on the racetrack, I've never driven a race car, uh, we qualified kind of slow as, as a new person would, and they had a, a what they call a reverse start, and so we started up in the front of the pack, and we're about two laps into it, and, and, and I got overexcited and put my foot to the floor and spun out in front of the pack, and I can't tell you how many times I got hit. Uh, there wasn't a piece on that race car that wasn't wrecked, and, and I remember spinning into the infield after being hit a countless times. And I, I lifted up my arms, and I, I patted my chest, and everything was okay. And I said, you know what? I like this. <laughs> and uh, I, I started my racing career. And, and so that was the, the, the very first time ever that, you know, I, I set out to accomplish something and, and, and did what I said I was going to do. And then we fast forward, and on my, my 21st birthday, uh, I was going to school. I was going to college, uh, being an electrical engineer. And I always wanted to open up my own business. And, and in the city of Chicago, you couldn't sign a lease until you were 21. And so I decided to open up an electronic shop. And on my 21st birthday, you know, most of my friends, you know, go downtown, go down to Rush Street and go down and party. I signed a lease and, and opened up an electronic shop. And, and we opened our business on April 1st. So only seven days later. Uh, and I always used to say in the back of my mind, if, if this doesn't work, I could just tell everybody it was an April Fool's joke. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, I opened it up on credit cards, and uh, I had the business for six years. And at the time, 
Uh, we were doing more and more work. We had some national contracts, um, but that's when the Best Buy started coming out and the, the circuit cities, and so the cost of new electronics kept coming down and down, and you know we kept having to lower the prices and lower the prices and doing more work, and uh, and so we made a decision that it was a hard decision, but but we actually sold the business, and uh, I went to work for Motorola as an engineer, and uh, I got to travel the world. I got to, to go to Great Wall and got to go to Forbidden City and, and walk the beaches of, of Rio, and uh, life was good. And I got swooped up in an 8,500-person layoff. Oh, wow. And at the time, you know, I missed my son's first steps. I missed my son's first words because I was in a plant in Tianjin, China. And so I went to work for the phone company and figured everybody always needs a house phone. Well, good call there. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, a couple years into my career, SBC bought the company, and, and I was offered a relocation package to move to Dallas. And um, I don't wear hats, and I don't wear boots, and so that wasn't a good fit for me and my family. And so I was displaced uh, again. And uh, I had an, an interview um, with one of our competitors, and, and I'm not going to say who they are. They got a goose, um, kind of give you an idea. Uh, and, and so just like most people who come into the insurance industry, um, it was because I had nowhere else to go. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, hey, Rob, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, policeman, fireman, you know, cop, race car driver, male model. I could have probably pulled that off. No, um, you could But definitely. <laughs> really? No. Uh, <laughs> definitely uh, not an insurance guy. And uh, so, you know, I, again, I, I had nothing else going on. And, and, and I was fortunate and misfortunate to pay a claim early on in my career. And I was only with the company for a couple of months, and, and one of my policyholders had a heart attack. And over there, uh, you know, we'd give a, a $5,000 upfront benefit and pay for every day they're off of work and follow-up treatments. And, and so I had that check overnighted um, to my house or, or to the office, and, I, and I, I delivered it. And I wasn't prepared for, for what happened to me that day. Uh, as I walked into his ICU room in, in Christ Hospital on the south side of Chicago, and I handed him his check, and, and he got out of bed and he hugged me. And, and we all have aha moments in our lives when we come to a, a crossroad and make a right, make a left. At, at that particular point in time, I, I don't think it really matters. But if you were to add up all of those aha moments in your life, it's exactly why we're here on this call today. It's exactly why... You know, people are in the personal and financial good or bad situations that they're in. And I can honestly say, besides marrying my wife and, and my children being born, that was one of my biggest aha moments in my life. Because as he hugged me, he looked me in the eye and said, I'm not going to go back to work for six months, maybe never. Laying here in bed, I thought my family would be better off without me. At least they can cash in my life insurance and they'd be okay. But because you and this check, I don't have to make that decision. I mean, that was 12 years ago when I, when I, when I talk about John, it, it, if you could see me now, my, the hair standing up on my arm, that that, that father was, and, and people make that decision all the yeah. time, right? Um, you know, you ever know somebody who's been together their whole life, husband and wife, when, when someone, when one of them passes immediately, right? That, that's not a coincidence. That, that's just they give up the will to survive, right? And, and, I, and I think that's what sparked my my dedication and, and focus on this industry. Uh, fast forward, and, and so now we're, we're here at Colonial Life, and 
um, during the course of my my insurance career, it gives given me the opportunity to to be with my family when I want to. I pick up my son from school every Friday at two thirty. Um, from going to, from a from an industry where I miss his first steps, I miss his first words. Um, I was able to control, you know, when I spend time with my family. And, and, you know, I'll never demonize wealth. They say money can't buy happiness. Uh, you can buy a boat, right? And, and so this opportunity has not only given me the, the flexibility to be with my family, but also, you know, make the income that I need to make to, to, to take care of my family the way I want to. And so uh, a few years back, um, I've always had desire to fly. Um, when I was racing uh, race cars, one of my pit crew members was a, a Palatine firefighter and a pilot, and he took us up for the 4th of July, and it was the most remarkable thing I've ever experienced. You know, it, when you think about, you know, being in the Chicago metro market, and we watch the fireworks from above the fireworks, and, and you can see displays as far as the eye can see, not only from the municipalities, but from people, you know, having their own displays. And I always said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna become a pilot, and right, and and what's this Southside guy, race car driver, gonna do to to be able to fly a plane? And and so my wife got me an introductory class for Christmas, and and Craig, this is something probably you you've never been accustomed to. So I got this 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 gift. However, we're in Chicago, you know. Growing up, you get a bicycle, and you got to look at it for two months before you could take it out. Right, because you can't ride your bike in the snow. Right, right, and, 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 right. <laughs> and so I had this this introductory course that that I couldn't use. And so the first first nice day that broke, I went and, and I took the class, and and I was hooked. And you know, I, I I began taking my classes to become a pilot. I figured, heck, it's like the insurance test; you only need a seventy to pass. So how hard can that be? <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think about it, right? Fifty uh, percent of it is is right or wrong, right? You got a fifty fifty chance, so you really only need to know about twenty percent of the material. And so uh, I became a pilot, and um, two years ago, Labor Day weekend, uh, my brother in law lives in uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and he's dating uh, uh, a lady that has a special needs child. And, and Bradley's fifteen now; he was thirteen at the time. Um, but he's got the, the mindset of a, of a four-year-old, and he always wanted to be a pilot. And so when they came up for Labor Day, I planned a trip to, to take him from Joliet, and, and it was going to be a simple trip. We were just going to fly downtown, go over the lakefront, and turn around and come back. And one of the things that I do is I fly about 1,300 feet above the ground, which is just a little bit lower than the Sears Tower sky deck. And so you get the Sears Tower view from everywhere. But one of the nice things about, about that flight is, is we've got to go through Midway's airspace. And so, you know, the passengers get to hear Midway Tower and the Southwest pilots. And, and so when we're on approach, you know, I, I called to the tower and asked for clearance. And, and I said, uh, you know, I'm on a Make-A-Wish flight. Uh, co-pilot Bradley is aboard. And the tower responded and gave me my clearance. And, and that was it. And I was kind of disappointed and just thinking to myself, what a jerk. Like, all I wanted him to do was just kind of acknowledge Bradley. And as we got closer, the tower called my call sign back and asked if uh, Bradley wanted to do a touch and go on runway two left. Now, growing up, I grew up right off of two left. And I, I, 20 years of my life, looking up in the backyard, looking at the planes flying over our house, 
I've never flown in the Midway as a pilot, as a passenger a lot, but, but never as a pilot. And so I responded, uh, you know, co-pilot Bradley is thumbs up and smiling ear to ear. And as we're on approach, there was a, a Southwest plane that was given the clearance to depart on runway two left or two right. And, and you know, commercial planes always have the right of way. So they, they slowed my approach down. And the Southwest pilot responded, we'll hold short. Co-pilot Bradley has a right-of-way. And so oh, that plane that sat so on cool. the runway. Yep. As we landed, we took back off. And as I'm flying over the house that I grew up in, the Southwest pilot called on the radio and told Bradley, great job, Bradley. Enjoy the friendly skies. And it was just That's awesome cool. that not only the tower and not only Southwest – and so we flew downtown and, you know, we made the return trip. And when, when I called the tower for reverse clearance, they asked if Bradley wanted to come to the tower and do a tour of the tower. Now, from a pilot, right, when, whenever you land at an airport, you always have the, the map diagrams and you know where everything's located. I had none of that with me because I had no intention of landing at Midway Airport in a classy airspace on Labor Day weekend right, in a Cessna. And so we landed, and as we're getting our taxi instructions, again, we were told to hold short, and a Southwest pilot was, a Southwest plane was going to go past us, and that Southwest pilot uh, called back and said, we'll hold short, give Bradley the right-of-way. And as we passed that plane, not only did everyone in the cockpit wave, but everybody on that side of the plane waved to Bradley. And so that pilot must have made a, a cabin announcement. And so we got to the tower and we spent probably a good 45 minutes to an hour in the tower. Uh, they put Bradley in the chair, they put him on the headphones, they gave him binoculars. And it was just a remarkable experience that not only for Bradley, but for his parents. You know, I couldn't fathom, you know, the simple things that we do and we take for granted, you know, every day is, is just a task. Right. And, and so for two and a half hours, you know, they felt like they were special that, you know, and, and so we got back in the plane and, and we flew back to my house. And and uh, when we landed, his parents were just beside themselves. And this, man, this must have been this was just phenomenal what you did for us. This must have took a lot of work. And, of course, me being who I am, I said, of course it did. I mean, I've been planning this for months, and, <laughs> right? And it, it, it was from a simple radio call, right, to a control tower uh, w- with somebody who on the other end of the, the control tower was, was a human, yeah. right, and, and did the right thing and impacted people. And, and that's what the opportunity that Colonial Life has given to me and to my family is that, that I can impact people in ways that I could never have done it as, a, as an electrical engineer. Uh, and then, you know, they went home and, and a couple days later, I, I got a call from Washington, D.C. And the message was, this is Sabrina from the FAA. Please give me a call back immediately regarding you being at Midway Airport. And my heart fell, oh, right? Because yeah. I, I had no clearance to be at Midway. This wasn't, right? And, and so I called and the story got escalated all the way up through the FAA. The, the tower uh, supervisor took pictures and forwarded on, and the FAA called to do an article about Bradley's trip uh, in their monthly newsletter. Oh, and that's so, so that cool. story went nationwide. 
Wow. That's awesome, man. That's really cool, man. That's a Fusick moment, yeah. no doubt. That is a Fusick no moment. No doubt. Uh, and, and not only do we, you know, live the, the, the Fusick lifestyle, um, you know, that's passed on to my children. Uh, my son, uh, he was flying a plane before he could drive a car. Uh, he just started college this week. Uh, he wants to be an orthopedic surgeon. And my daughter is 10, and she's got a pink Fusick hat. And she's a uh, she's a singer, and she's been with the School of Rock for a couple of years now, and uh, just no fear, uh, lead singer. She was at her um, school doing her talent show a couple of months ago, uh, right before school ended, and she had her pink Fusick hat on. And so before she started singing, the principal asked her, what does that mean on your hat? And my daughter told her, well, this is for everyone who said I can't. And so she sang her song, and you couldn't hear a pin drop. And when she got done, she got a standing ovation, and the principal said, well, for those who said you can't, they're wrong. There you go. Oh, that's great. That's good. That's great. That's awesome, man. These are, these are a couple of uh, little tearjerker stories you're sharing, but, but it's a, um, on a positive, happy side, Rob. Yeah. You're, you're a very blessed man, my friend. Thank you. I am. First off, thank you for everything that uh, you said there today. I know that there's not one time that um, you guys post anything on Facebook that isn't wearing some kind of Fusic merchandise. And, um, you know, we just appreciate all the all the praise and all the recognition that y'all give to that. We appreciate the passion that you have for it and passing it on to your kids and your team. And um, just thank you, man. It's it's inspirational the way that you made this this fuse, you made your fusic story really about everybody else, and uh, and yeah, that's where your you passion did. came out, and the voice changed, and your voice inflections were different. Everything was different when you started talking about other people being impacted from fusic moments, and that to me was shows who you are and, and shows why you've been so successful with what you're doing here. So good job, man. Hey, Rob, thank you. Uh, this is the, the one of our final questions that we ask. Uh, you've you've had a pretty successful career starting back at 17, uh, which is a lot different than most. But if you could go back to Rob of, let's just say, 21, 22-year-old Rob, what are some advice you would give him? Yeah, never, ever doubt your abilities. And if there's something that you're passionate about and, and something that you want to do, do it. The worst that would happen is you fail, and you go back and do something different. That's awesome. So just do that's it. hard to do. So how how do, how do you overcome that that adversity sometimes in between your head? Yeah, I just think uh, you know I just don't know any different. Yeah. Um, you know, I just get up in the morning and and when there's something that that I see that that I want to do, I just do it. And in, in sure, there's doubt and, and there's skepticisms and what if, what if, right? What if I fail? Well, what if I succeed? Hmm, you ever think about that, right? And, and that's, that's, I think, what, what's driven me um, my entire life as far back as I could remember. Uh, and, and that's what I try to instill in, in my kids and in my team is that, yeah, what if, what if? What if you don't close a case this week? What if you do? Right. Yep. That's right. And what if you don't? I mean, what's what's the worst that can happen? If you go in and, and try it and you mess up and you fail, you get up and try it again. 
Yep. That's good, man. Well, Rob, where can the listeners find you? So they can find me on Facebook, and my colonial email address is uh, robert.serwinski, C-Z-E-R-W-I-N-S-K-I, at coloniallifesales.com. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, great job today. Thank you again for uh, taking the time to do this and share many stories about it and what FUSIC means to you. You knocked it out of the park, buddy, and I look forward to working with you for a long time and seeing you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Job, Rob. All right, everybody. Thank y'all for listening. We'll see you next week. Love y'all. FUSIC, a podcast for everyone who said I couldn't.